to Judges chapter 6. If you have your Bibles with us or with you, turn to Judges chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 14, but just as way of introduction, um, and, and I'm excited about today, and just kind of hold your place there because today obviously is Youth and Children's Sunday, and, and uh, so maybe the question uh, comes up and, and, and that often is, okay, well, Drew, how, how can I make a difference? And yes, we're going to talk about the cake auction stuff in a second, but I know just from talking between myself and Wade, we both uh, share the same heartbeat for our kids and for our teens that way past just today, uh, it is one of the things we want to do is inspire you, be an advocate for, um, do whatever we can to get you to invest and pour into the next generation, even past today. So Drew, are you saying that today's not important? No, 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 not at all. Today is important. It is, right? But, uh, but, but if, if all we do today is, um, is just raise money for, for kids and teens to go to camp, which is important, we'll high-five each other for a day and we'll say thank you as we go to these camps over the summer. But, but what after that? Uh, what, what, what remains after that? And again, every single year, this is my fourth cake auction. It's always been my heart uh, to make sure that, uh, that you leave out of here with some sort of just inspiration about what you can do and what role you can play uh, to make an impact for the next generation. So anytime I do that, um, you know, uh, people always say, well, Drew, Drew, where is that biblically? And that, that is, right? Us pouring into the next generation and teaching them about the things of God and teaching them who they are in God, that's biblical. We find uh, in Psalms 145.4, says this, it says, one generation commends your works to another and they tell of your mighty acts. So us pouring what we know about God and giving the next generation a leg to stand up on to experience God for themselves, that is a biblical thing and it's right and it's good. So what we're doing today is a good thing. But here's the big question that maybe some of you are asking, Drew, I'm not called in the teenage ministry. That's never been on my heart. And, uh, and definitely I ain't working uh, uh, 365 with kids. No way, because I just don't have the patience for it. That's not my skill set. I don't know. So, so Drew, this is great, but how do I impact the next generation? How can I play my part? What can I do? And there's a lot. Not everybody here is necessarily called to be with us on every, uh, uh, every single Wednesday night in Echo. And not every person here is supposed to necessarily go and work with Wade or in the nursery or whatever. But each and every one of us have our part to play. Each and every one of us have a role that we can play to impact the next generation. The question is, well, Drew, what is it and how? Well, here's where we're going to start. This brings us to the story of Gideon. You're, you've turned in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6, and I, I know the majority of you have maybe grown up in church, and so what I don't want to do is waste time by just absolutely reading the entire story of Gideon. It's too long. We've got other things we've got to get to today. But I'm going to paraphrase it, and then, and then we'll go to Judges 6, 14. So the story of Gideon is a story of someone who's called out to do an incredible work of God. At the, time, the, uh, the, at the time that this story, we find Gideon in the story, he, uh, the nation of Israel was being oppressed by a nation uh, of Midian. And that's where you see the Midianites. And literally, it was at a point where the nation of Israel, uh, they were so oppressed by this other nation that they couldn't farm their own crops because every time they would go and they would plant it, the Midianites would come up and just stomp it out. They couldn't, they couldn't build their own homes and live in it because uh, every time they did, uh, the Midianites were just so powerful that they would just come in and just tear their houses down. And the, the, the Bible at the first part of Judges 6 says that the Israelites were, have, were forced to go and live up in the mountains in tents. 
That, that was their life and that was their existence. And so we pick up the story where Gideon, as an Israelite, is so afraid of this army, the Midianites, that, uh, that we find him in a wine press. He's hiding from the Midianites, and he's threshing his wheat. He's getting food for his family and uh, because he's scared. He, he can't do this in the open because he doesn't feel like he's powerful enough or strong enough, and he goes, what do I do, and where do I go? And so let me just hide because I want to provide for my family, but at the same time, uh, I, I know that I can't do this uh, publicly and openly. He's afraid. And the angel of the Lord comes down and sits down with him and, and uh, pretty much says, uh, hey, hello, mighty warrior. That's, and we'll get into that in a second. It's one of the first things he says. But he begins to lay out this plan to Gideon about um, uh, just about what, uh, uh, what plans God has for him and how God is going to use Gideon to defeat, the, to, to, to defeat the Midianites and to set Israel free. And we see that play out. But here's what's important. And this is where it's important today is that Gideon looks at this angel and he says, well, okay, you say I'm going to do this. Well, well, what do I do next? Notice the parallel. Gideon was asked by God to free the next generation, to do his part for the generation that was coming up. And he asked the question, how? And that, that's the same question for some of us today. We're going, Drew, I'm great. I'd love to pour into the next generation, but how? And what the angel tells Gideon next is imperative for us. Look in uh, Judges 6, 14. I think we'll have it on the screen as well, but this is what it says. I'm reading out the NIV. It said, then the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. If you want to underline that or write it down, this is crucial for today. Go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So Gideon asked this question. He goes, well, what am I going to do to, to do this plan that you have? Because you have this plan for this generation, God, and I don't feel equipped. I don't know if I can do it. I know because if you look, I'm actually the least in my family is what he said. He goes, I'm the lowest in my clan and in my tribe. What am I going to do? I don't have many resources. I'm not, a, I'm not a commander in the army. I don't even know if I have a sword. How am I going to accomplish this, God? And literally God looks at him and says, what do you have? Go with that. That is amazing for us today because I'm going to answer the question for you who are sitting there going, well, how outside of today, how can I pour into the next generation? Well, what do you have? What is it that you have? Because God wants you to go with that. And it's amazing how the history of the Bible tells this story that if you're willing to go in faith with what you have, even though it is considered small, God has this funny way of coming in and breathing life to it, and it multiplies. We see this happen all the time. Remember the story in, uh, in Matthew of Jesus Christ feeding all these people? There came a time where Jesus was teaching on the mountain, and, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden his disciples looked at him and said, look, you've been talking all day, Jesus. That's great. They love it, but they're hungry. Where are we going to take them? Because we got nowhere that they can go. And, and uh, Jesus looked at him and said, well, what do you have? And they brought him a boy with two loaves and a couple of fishes. The boy brought what he had, and God multiplied it. And every one of the thousands of people that day were fed, they even had some left over. 
We see this principle over and over and over and over again because the easiest thing to do is for us to look at what we have and not think it's enough and not think that God could truly use it. And the truth is God's saying, if you will just give me the small piece of what you have, I will put who I am behind it and you will be amazed at what it can do. So that's big picture. That's big picture, okay? Now let's talk about some of the details. We're gonna talk about a lot of things. We're gonna talk about some of your time and talents and treasures, but here's where we have to start off if we get into the details where we talk about what do you have? The first thing that we have to start off with is what faith and belief in this next generation do you have? What do you have for that? And, and, and you, you, ask, you answer that question internally because before I can ever sit there and talk to you about time and energy and resources and finances and everything else, the first thing that I have to ask you as far as what you have is what do you have internally inside of you as far as a belief system for the next generation? Because, because how your attitude is toward the next generation is how you will see the next generation and how you see and view the next generation is how you will act toward them. I cannot give you an actionable item and say, hey, I need you to do this, do that, do this, do this, before at first asking the internal part of who you are and saying, what do you believe? What do you see? We see this story play out all the time with what do you see? It was, what, two weeks ago that the internet almost absolutely just exploded, right, with this whole question of the dress, right? Is it a black dress with purple or is it a white dress with gold? I'm probably missed that up or whatever. But everybody was, this whole thing was asking, what do you see? When you see this dress, what do you see? Well, when you see these kids and these teenagers up on stage, or maybe the ones that aren't up on stage that are sitting in the audience, what do you see? Because that absolutely means everything. Notice the story. Before God asked Gideon to do anything, before he asked him to pick up a sword, before he asked him to go with 300 men, before he asked him to fight the Midianites, he addressed that belief system inside of Gideon. Because here was Gideon hiding. He was a coward. He, wasn't, he, he, he was trying not to be found. And the very first thing that the angel of the Lord said when he, when, when he shows up to, to, to dialogue with Gideon, look at your Bible, he said, well, hello, mighty warrior. That was a contradiction in terms, wasn't it? There, here was a guy hiding because he did not want to be found. And the very first thing God addresses with him, is says, well, hello, mighty warrior. Well, why did God do this? Was God ignoring the obvious? No. What God was doing was he was trying to change the way Gideon saw himself and saw God because he knew if he could change him internally, then everything else would flow out of that. That pattern in the Bible repeats itself over and over and over and over again because that's the way God treats us. God wants to make sure that before he gives us actionable items, he wants to make sure that we're good on the inside because he knows that everything will flow from that. In Genesis, we find the story of Abraham. Abraham was an old man, old. And God shows up to him and says, I'm gonna make you a father of many nations. Now let me get, the, let me get this straight. I'm an old man. And you want me to be a father of many nations. And before God ever gave him actionable items, he gave that belief system to him to where he would change because he wanted to view himself the way God viewed him, right? Take King David, right? If you go to 1 Samuel, okay? 
David was a shepherd boy. He was so insignificant in his family that when the prophet of God Samuel showed up to his house to anoint one of his brothers, he didn't know who, but one of his brothers, king, his father didn't even consider him. He goes, what about this brother? Nope. What about this one? Nope. What about this one? Nope. What about this one? Nope. And finally Samuel goes, well, everybody's here. Do you have another son? And the father goes, you know, it's funny you should mention that. Yeah, 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 I, I got David. He's out, he's out in the field. Here was this boy that was forgotten by his own dad. And the first thing God did was he sent a, a prophet named Samuel to show up to him, tending sheep in the pasture. And before he ever asked anything of him, he anointed him. And he said, I know how you view yourself, David, but I'm going to now change you from shepherd I'm going to change your belief system. You're going to view yourself as a king because that's how I view you. That's how I view you. Even, yeah, even one of the most famous disciples in the Bible, if we want to look at the New Testament, right? Before we ever know him as Peter in the Bible, Peter's name was actually Simon. Jesus Christ changed his name. Simon, if you look it up in the Bible, means he who hears. And he was one of Jesus' lead disciples. He who hears. What kind of... How do I put this? What kind of just insignificant name did you have to apply to a young boy to call him he who hears? It's insignificant. It's nothing. And I think that's why it's so important that one of the first things Jesus did after Peter made his confession, you are the Christ, Jesus Christ looked at him and said, I'm no longer going to call you Simon, he who hears. I'm going to call you Peter or Cephas, which means rock. Because how you viewed yourself the, uh, for your entire life is just one who sits there and hears. And one who sits there is a passive. You've been told you were passive and, and, uh, and that you would never leave. But I'm telling you right now, right now you are no longer someone who just he who hears. I'm going to call you rock. And he did that for Peter before he ever asked Peter to do anything because Peter didn't have it all together. From, the, from that moment, did Peter start acting like the rock? Oh no, look at his life. But the thing that you'll notice is that Jesus changed him internally. And isn't that the way God treats us as well? Before God ever asked anything of us, he sent his son to die on a cross. That as, as we believe in his son, he, get, he changes us internally. He gives us a new life. He gives us a new spirit. He gives us a new part of who he is in exchange for who we are not. That is the gospel of what we believe. Now take all those stories and translate it to us today. For what we are talking about, what do you believe about this new generation and this next generation? Because if I can ask you to do anything, but, it, but until I address how you believe this and how you view and you see this next generation, it means everything. Now I know that we're in church and that typically the standard answer is for me to say, well, do you believe in the next generation and do you believe in the kids and teens, right? We're in church and so uh, the easiest thing to do is go, well, yeah, I do, sure. And in some ways it's easy to look at these kids and look at these teens leading worship and so sure, yeah, but do we really? Do we really believe in the next generation? Because that question about our internal beliefs means everything. How do we view our kids and our teens? Do we view them more for their immaturity? Or do we view them more for their potential? 
I'm not ignoring the immaturity. I'm not ignoring the things that they do, which can be a little bit of annoying, which can be, which doesn't always make sense, right? And oh, by the way, I still do those things, right? So I'm not putting myself above them. Just ask my wife, right? But it's so easy to look at this next generation and view them for everything that they're not, as opposed to everything that they can be. It was a couple years ago, and I don't know who it is. I've forgotten, but I just remember the story. So powerful. A couple years ago, I had a, um, had a gentleman come up to me right after church and say, can I talk to you? Sure. Sure you can. He said, I need you to talk to these teens. Okay, what teens? Which teens? Right? I didn't know what's going on. So what's going on? He goes, well, there was a group of them on a, on a row, and all they did was just spend the entire time on their phone. I need you to talk to them. I was very nice and kind to the gentleman, right, because I, I didn't want to blow him up. But there was a couple problems in his logic. The first part was, okay, you're upset at their immaturity. And I, I'm, not, I'm not excusing that, right? Church isn't the place to be on your phone. It's not. Who is? But at the same time, did we, did we go and engage them? Or did you come to the youth pastor because it's my problem to deal with while you didn't even take the time to go get to know those teenagers' names? I'm not excusing the immaturity, but the easy thing to do is to go, oh, that's somebody, that's the youth pastor's problem. As opposed to saying, you know what, I see you for your potential, and I'm gonna go to you right now, and I'm gonna say, hey, I know what you're doing, and that's not right, Hello, mighty warrior. Do we see our uh, kids and teens for the, for the problems that they face or for the equipping that God's going to do for them? Let's just be honest. Every single generation faces harder problems than what you and I went through. My generation, I grew up, I, I was a 90s teen, and I grew up and I heard from all the older people, man, I never faced the things that you went through. But at the same time, I see myself now, and I see the, I see the things that, that, that today's teenager and child goes through, and I'm like, I didn't have to face those things. I drop my kids off. I've got a first grader and a pre-K. I drop them off every single uh, uh, day that I can, and my prayer over them is, God, I pray you to protect them. I pray you to keep them safe, because I know the battlefield and the danger that they're walking into every day. I know the messages that the world is trying to tell them that they are. I know the, I know the things that, they are, uh, that, 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 that they're facing, that, 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 that their peers are telling them that they should do, and it's all a lie, and all I want them to do is to know just how much Jesus cares for him. But here's the thing that I have to remember is that, yes, every generation of teenagers and kids faces an increasing amount of problems, but God never, never leaves a generation without a remnant that he specifically equips to shout his fame. And so when we see the problems that our kids and our teenagers go through, and we see the generational things, we go, how are you ever going to do it? That's when we need to see them for the potential that they have, because God is going to raise them up. He's going to equip them, and they are going to be used specifically for his glory and for his will. But it all depends on how you see it. Do we see the next generation as an inconvenience or as a value? Do we see the next generation as someone else's problem or your personal responsibility? 
Do you see the next generation as incompetent or do you see them as capable? This whole idea of how we see the next generation means everything because it matters. God has this incredible way of taking ordinary people and making them special. Going from ordinary to special. Ordinary to special. How do you view this generation? Do you view them as ordinary, troubled, or do you view them as special? And we see this concept of ordinary to special playing out in so many areas of our life. We see ordinary teams in the secular world go to special at times. We see ordinary people and, and, and teachers go to special all the time when, they, when their belief system changes. Ordinary to special, ordinary to special. How would your life change if you begin to look at teens and kids as from ordinary to special? I've got a movie clip I'm going to show you that shows just exactly how one person can go from ordinary to special by just how someone believed in them. Let's watch. Vitruvius and tell him the peace has been found. Uh-huh. They're up on the monorail. Release the cover choppers. Will you please tell me what is happening? I'm rescuing you, sir. You're the one the prophecy spoke of. You're the special. Me? You found the piece of resistance, and the prophecy states that you are the most important, most talented, most interesting, and most extraordinary person in the universe. That's you, right? Uh, yes. That's me. Great. You drive. What? I'm not good. Oh, hey, Ooh, boom. That little clip was kind of similar to my reaction when Drew was like, hey, man, you want to tag team this sermon? Me? So, um, yeah. Well, if you're here today for the first time, um, I kind of know what you're feeling right now as I, I get this podium. I'm a little sad. I thought I'd get the, uh, the nice one. thought I'd get the glass one, but I, I don't. It's kind of like going to a Braves game, and you get there, and then you realize, like, all the starters are sitting to rest, and you're kind of like, oh. Oh, well, we're at the Braves game. So that's kind of how I feel right now with this, but I'll, we'll roll with it. Um, well, if you know me, uh, I love to laugh, and I love to tell stories. So I, I figured I'd start off with one for you. Um, it's back from my childhood. It's one of those things that I heard and I was told kind of all through life. People laughed at it, and uh, I don't really know if I believe it all. And you'll see the parts where I'm kind of like, I don't really know if I believe that, because I don't know if I believe that I would do something like that. But here we go. Uh, so I'm four years old. Uh, I'm Little Wade. My dad's Big Wade. I'm Wade Jr. He's Wade Sr. But we were called Little Wade and Big Wade. So Little Wade, you know, I'm down the hall and they said I had a marker in my hand and they said I was about to write on the wall. Now, I don't really know if I would have done something like that, but we'll go with it. We'll believe them. Uh, so my dad is sitting down at the other end of the hall and he yells and says, Wade, do not write on that wall. So look at him. Look at the wall. Look at him. Look at the wall. 
go to write on it. Now, here's where it gets a little gray. I probably, I mean, to be honest, if, if I were going to do something like that, I was probably going to write or draw this amazing painting. And it was going to be the start of this amazing art career for me, the next Picasso kind of thing. But as you'll hear, they ruined that. Um, so my dad doesn't want me to write on the wall. So he says, you know, no, gets up and he starts chasing me. I'm four years old. I'm a little guy. But dad's a big guy. And I mean, you know, if I'm four, he's a giant. So there's this giant coming at me, running at me down the hall. What am I going to do? Am I going to stand there and just be like, you can do what you want. Don't hurt me. No, I'm going to run. So I see him coming down the hall. So my little four-year-old legs are running. I get to the door, slam the door shut, hit lock, back away. Woo! Game over. Until he gets to the door. Then he starts banging on the door. So open the door up right now. Let me in. And my immediate response, they said, was, not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. So I've always been kind of witty with the quick comebacks, evidently, and it started when I was four, I guess. But um, now that, that story, it might have been 26 years ago, but for my parents, I'm sure that story feels kind of like it was about five years ago. They can still remember everything about it. I mean, it seems like it wasn't that long ago. And for me, I can relate in one area of my life. Uh, seven months ago, my wife and I, our lives were changed uh, in an amazing way. Uh, we had a, a little girl. And her name is Ellie. Uh, it's Laura Elizabeth, but we call her Ellie Bennett. And so she's seven months old, but I can remember the day that uh, we thought it was going to happen. Um, she wasn't, our due date was August 1st, but it was July 28th. And we're sitting around, and uh, we, my wife woke me up in the middle of the night, and uh, there were some signs that, you know, we were like, okay, is this happening? So we called our doctor, and we're like, hey, we don't think this is happening, but this is happening right here. So what do you think? And he's like, come on in. So we're like, ugh, we're going to have to go in. We're going to sit there for a couple hours, and they're going to send us home. We know it. So we get there. Sure enough, uh, you know, what should have taken 10 minutes takes three hours. Um, so they send us home. But I'll never forget, I'm walking out of that little room, and the nurse kind of taps me on the shoulder, and she says, hey. She's like, I wouldn't be surprised to see you back here later this afternoon. And that was like the coolest moment of my life because right then I knew, like, this could happen. Like, my heart leapt, like everything in me just stopped and skipped a beat kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. So, um, you know, some people had given us some advice uh, of how to help, you know, speed that process up. So um, we practiced those things. Um, one of the things we did, uh, we walked around the block. Uh, so I feel like we took a tour of North Macon. I feel like we walked like five miles that day. Um, and so people are like driving by like, what is that big old pregnant woman doing walking on the road? And we're just kind of like, you know, hey, we're trying to have a baby. So we get home and we're watching TV. And then next thing I know, she's laid out on the living room floor, just, ah, you know, I'm hurting. I'm like, this is happening. You know, like you guys, a lot of y'all know what, what I'm talking about. You're kind of like, whoo-hoo, praise the Lord, this isn't happening to me. But let's, we're going to have a baby today. Uh, sorry, women. We love y'all for it. Um, but um, for me, uh, we didn't find out what we were having, so we got down there. We had a little baby girl, and it was the greatest surprise of my life. Uh, but for me, that literally feels like it was last week, but it was seven months ago. And, uh, you know, time, it, it has a funny way of sneaking up on us, and it just has this crazy way of flying by. Uh, there's a poet uh, that I like to listen to often, 
And uh, he says, time, why you punish me? Like a wave bashing into the shore, you wash away my dreams. Time, why you walk away? Like a friend with somewhere to go, you left me crying. Can you teach me about tomorrow and all the pain and sorrow? And some of you might know this poet. Uh, he used to go by the name of Hootie and the Blowfish, but now he goes by the name of Darius Rucker. Um, but here's the thing about time. It'll literally get away from us. How many of you had plans to do something in your life? You, you had these great plans and now, you know, you look back and they're 5, 10, even 15 years in your past now. And they're kind of gone. They're behind you. I had a man tell me this last summer. He says, you know, Wade, um, I felt like God called me to be a pastor uh, coming out of college. He said, I, I had been going to Baptist church and I was going to be a Baptist preacher. And I was like, well, there's your problem. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> totally just kidding. <laughs> That's a bad joke. Sorry. Um, but... So I said, you know, I was like, well, you know, what happened? He said, well, you know, I really felt a calling on my life that God wanted me to, to be a pastor. And I graduated college and I needed a job. So I took that job. And then I met my wife and we got married. And then we had our first kid. And then we had our second kid. And, you know, here I am 20 years later. And that calling has kind of come and gone for me. It's so far in the past, I really don't even remember it. Well, it's kind of like Gideon uh, and the Israelites. Uh, they had dreams of being delivered to the promised land that God had told them of. But they let time fly by. And more importantly, in, in their lives, they allowed idols to distract them from the things that God had planned for them. Now, they delayed the plan that God had for them because they let time fly by without focusing their eyes on God. So do you think it was any of their dreams to be living in, uh, you know, small tents up on the mountains or Really, I mean, do you think it was any of their dreams to be living in caves? No. They didn't want to have to hide their crops in fear of these bandits coming and, you know, stomping them out, stealing from them. They didn't want that. Nobody has bad, wants to have bad dreams. Nobody wants that. So my challenge here in this area of time is what are you focusing on? Have you let the plans that the Lord has for you wither away because you have lost sight of God? You see, our time is critical because before we know it, we're going to be old and gray. Time flies by. So what can you do today that's going to make you obedient to the Lord that will help uh, allow you to be obedient to the Lord and, and what the Lord has for you? What can you do? Maybe this is, you know, I'm just going to run through a few things, and maybe this is going to strike home with you, or maybe you know exactly what you need to do. So maybe you need to go home, uh, and maybe you need to sit your family down and say, hey, you know what? At nighttime when we've been having dinner as a family, we're not going to do this uh, TV tray anymore sitting in front of the television, allowing that TV and allowing our phones at the same time to have all of our attention. Here's what we're going to do as a family. That dining table that we bought a couple of years ago, we paid a lot for because it looks really nice. You know, the one that gets used like Easter and Christmas when all the family comes over. Yeah, here's the thing. We're going to use that table. We're going to use it every night for dinner and we're going to have family time. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave our phones. We're going to sit them in the kitchen. And you know, maybe you're at that awkward stage where you have a teenager and they're like, hey, you know, John, how was your day? It was good. What? It was good. You know, maybe you're at that awkward stage where your child's kind of like, you know, doesn't really want to talk, doesn't want to talk to you or something like that. Well, guess what? You're going to have a great silent meal. And the thing is, <laughs> hear me out. The thing is, when that child does want to talk, when he is ready to talk, don't you think it's going to be a lot easier for him to talk when you're not watching a TV show or you're not staring at your phone? Yeah. 
If he wants to talk, he's going to say something. And it's going to be a lot easier if you're doing something like that. And maybe you sit down and say, hey, you know what? We've kind of lost sight of this too. We're going to open up every dinner with prayer. And we're going to thank the Lord for everything he's given us. So maybe uh, somebody in here, you need to start backing off some things at work. You need to start learning how to delegate some of your tasks a little better. Maybe that's you, so you can spend a little more time at home. Uh, here's one that uh, I spoke with my wife about, and she you know, said this would be something that you could mention. And I think it hits home for not only women, but for also men. But maybe it's time for us to stop comparing. Stop comparing our lives to other people's lives and stop letting that steal our time. You can look at that mom and say, you know, how in the world did this woman have five kids? She ain't never worked out a day in her life. She rolls out of bed, I'm pretty sure, with permanent makeup on and perfect hair. She has a perfect car and perfect kids. I'm pretty sure her dog can say the ABCs. Everything in her life is perfect. Why can't I be like that? You know what? Who cares about that woman? Live your life. Enjoy your life. Don't let time fly by with you comparing everything in your life to someone else's. Don't let that steal your time. So for some of us in here today, it's time to refocus where and what gets our time. And if we don't focus on God, then we're going to allow idols to slip into our lives, unseen idols. We're allow them to come in and steal our time. We're going to allow them to steal our focus. And we're going to start living in caves of our own. You see, God wants you to experience his freedom in the promised land. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So in my final uh, point I want to talk to you about is our talents. Um, you heard earlier Drew talking about Gideon and how he was a mighty warrior. But the thing about Gideon is that he viewed himself as not worthy. He questioned God and said, hey, he said, God, you know, I don't, I don't know about you using me. Like my family, we are the weakest clan and we come from the weakest clan and, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. You see, here's a guy that we see mentioned into the New Testament in Hebrews 11. It's called the, uh, the Hall of Faith. It's similar to, you know, our sports guys that get into the Hall of Fame. This is kind of what it's compared to. But in Hebrews 11, it talks about Gideon. He's in the Hall of Faith. But if you read about Gideon in Judges 6, we see that he doubts himself. He thought he couldn't do what God was calling him to do. But God said, Gideon, I'll use you. So with the talents and the gifts that Gideon had, he looked to the heavens and he said, you know what, God? Use me. And God did. So God told Gideon that he was going to lead the Israelites out of slavery that they had been in for the past seven years to the Midianites by defeating their army. So Gideon starts off his battle with 32,000 men. You know, he's walking, he's got 31,999 men behind him, and he's like, yeah, all right, we might can do something here. We might can. You know, with God, we can. So God says, Gideon, hey, you got too many men. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask which men are afraid, and if they're afraid, tell them they can go home. So Gideon, you know, he says, all right, God, I'll do that. Um, and God says, the reasoning for that is because I don't want these guys to walk in and, you know, they win, the, they win the battle and they say, hey, we did that. What's up? We just dominated that war. It was all us. God didn't want that. So here's the thing. Gideon turns around and says, hey, guys, anybody in here is scared? Y'all go on home. Y'all go on home be with your family. All right, don't worry about it. We'll take care of this. God's got it for us. So you know, you're thinking, what, 32,000 men standing there. They're all kind of excited about going into this battle. Uh, they're pumped, you know, trying to get each other pumped. I mean, I would think at the most a 1,000 guys would be like, hey, you know what, John, Ron, I am scared and I am out of here. You guys have fun in this battle. We'll see you later. Hope, hope to see you back home. We'll take care of everything for you. I mean, I'm thinking a 1,000. No, 22,000 men turn around and walk back home. 
So here's Gideon. He now has 10,000 men. And God says, you know what, Gideon, you still have too many. I want you to send them down to that little water over there. Let them get a drink of water and I'll, we'll go from there. So the men walk down. They go to get a drink of water. Well, there's two ways that they either get a drink of water. They either take a knee and they scoop it up with their hands or they just lay down and they're just lapping it up like a dog is what it compares to. So 9,700 men lay down, lap it up like a dog. And God says, Gideon, those guys that lapped it up like a dog, instead of using their hand, I want you to go ahead and send them home. So Gideon tells them, you guys going home. So now Gideon's standing there, you know, looking at his back. He's like, well, I had 32,000. Um, now I'm down to you 300 that I could probably all say your names. So, hey, all right, God, you, you got my attention. You're going to use us. So here's the thing. The remaining 300 men, they were able, in Judges 8, it tells us that they take out over 120,000 men. Now, I don't believe that as a church that we'll be going into battle anytime soon to defend ourselves from having to live and hide in caves, having to worry about bandits coming to steal our crops. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I pray that's not going to happen anytime soon. But the one thing that I do believe is that we are at war with the powers of darkness every single day. In 1 Peter 5.8, it speaks to this. It says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion, like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. You see, we can't do it on our own. We can't win this war with the enemy on our own power. God's already won that battle for us on the cross. He did. He's won the battle. But for us, as men and as women of God, it's time for us to claim that victory and to unite as victors in Christ. And as adults, We've been through most of the things that these kids and that these teens are facing today. Yeah, you know, they're facing some crazy stuff that we're like, dude, I didn't have to go through that, you know, when I was a teenager. Thank God. Woo. But you know what? A lot of the stuff that they're going through, we've been there. We've been through that before. It might be to a different extent of, of things that they're going through, but at, this, at the meat of it all, we've been through a lot of those things. And here's what uh, we as ministries in this church, we're not asking you to come and preach for us every single night. We're not asking you to come run everything. But what we do want, what we are asking, is we're asking for men and women of God to come together with us as a team full of many different talents and many different gifts and help uh, these children and these youth see the ways of God. And together we will be able to shake down the walls that the enemy has built up around us in this world. As a team and through God, we will be able to do that. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you will do nothing. Apart from God, we will be able to do nothing. The darkness of this world will run us over apart from God. And the final scripture I want to leave you with is Ecclesiastes 4, 12, and it says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. The cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You know, we all have so many unique things about us. We're all, we're pretty weird, let's be honest. Every one of us, we've all got our weirdness to us, and, and that's okay. Uh, but we also have different talents and giftings that the Lord has blessed us with. So my closing challenge in this point is what are you doing with all that? Are you too busy serving yourself that you can't serve God? You know, I want to challenge you to find a way to serve the Lord. Whether it's here or outside of these walls, I want you to be a shining light for God in your talents. So we've got a video here for you. And the basic um, kind of subject of it is, what are you doing today for this generation? What are you doing for them to be remembered? Go ahead. The last goal doesn't matter. 
last victory. Already forgotten. Yesterday is gone. Lost in the record books. But today is up for grabs. Unpredictable. Unwritten. Undecided. Now is ours. Do something and be remembered. Or do nothing and be forgotten. No one owns today. So when we talk about what do you have that can impact the next generation, we've talked about your faith and your belief in them. We've talked, I've talked about your time. We've talked about your talent. The last part is we do have to talk about your treasures. We do. Some of you have been saying, oh, man, another church. I mean, talking about money or whatever. And again, if you've never visited this church, let me just go ahead and tell you one of the things that I love about our church is we do one fundraiser a year. We don't talk about money much. We talk about Jesus a lot. We talk about money very little. This is the one fundraiser that we get to do. This is my one day that I get to stand in front of you and I get to say, yes, please, I'll have your money, right? Not for me, right? Unless you want to give it. That'd be great, right? <laughs> but for teens and for kids. But we do have to talk about your talents, I'm sorry, your treasures, but, and, and we look at, back at the story, okay? It, there was a cost. It, there was a financial cost for Gideon to fight that battle. Again, it, it's so funny because we talk about the 300 men that Gideon fought with, but what did they fight with? It said that they had trumpets. It said that they had jars that, and, that, and that they had these little fire sticks or torches. And then when it came time to fight the battle that, that, they, that they blew their trumpets and that they, uh, they, 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 they lit um, their fire stick in the jar and then they threw it down and that, that caused confusion. Trumpets and fire sticks and jars cost money. There does have to be a portion where if you're going to invest yourself in the next generation, not just today, but outside today, you're going to have to pony up. You are. And again, I'm not talking about you've got to do everything just with what you have. What financial resources do you have that you can pour into the next generation? I've never seen this before, but this story talks more about financial resources than what we think of, right? Here's what's so funny. All right, so again, Gideon, uh, Judges chapter 7, right? After Gideon sent away all these other men, and, he, and, and all he had was this 300, it says something unique that I've never seen before. It said, so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, right? But kept the 300, who then took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So let me get this straight. Gideon looked at all these other thousands of men and said, I'm sorry, you can't fight for me, but would you please leave all your stuff that you brought with you because we're going to need that. <laughs> it's in there. I didn't make it up. Because Gideon understood something. He understood that, hey, if I'm going to fight a battle, I've still got to have financial resources in order to do it. Outside of the cake auction today, what financial resources are you using and currently using to impact the lives of your children or the lives of the next generation? Because it matters and it counts. Are you saying, Drew, that it's all about money? No, no, no. I feel like this, uh, today's been balance. It's been about time and talent and faith. But there is that portion that's also about finances as well. Do you have carved out 
financial resources from your business, from your personal checking account or whatever. Again, not to pour into here. That's not, what, that's not the goal. Although today it is, right? Do you have those, those treasures set aside to where you could pour into the next generation? Pour into others. Let's also talk about today as well. I would ask that you would pour your treasures into, not me, I don't receive a dime of it, I really don't, into our kids and to our teens and help send them to camp. Maybe you're new today, right? And you're like, man, what's this church, another church talking about money, I promise this is the one day, right? This is my fourth one. I don't get to do other fundraisers. The church that I came to before and here, great, 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 great church, right? But every time you walked in the door, there was a bake sale, there was a cookie sale, there was a lollipop sale, there was a car wash sale or whatever. I mean, I mean, at times I just, I just learned just to walk into the door, just my wallet open, there you go, right? Because I knew there was going to be something else. We don't do that here, but today, one day a year, we get to do this. We're sending teens and kids, we're helping them raise money for camp, and you may say, well, well, Drew, what's so special about camp? Why can't I just pour my money into other stuff and day-to-day stuff? And you can. You can. Here's the one thing that I found to be special about camp, and those who have been there and currently serve in any capacity in camps, you know this. The one thing I absolutely love about camp, I don't live there all the time, but I love about camp is that for a week, it puts our children and our teens in a bubble. I don't want to live in a bubble but I love putting our children and our teens in that bubble for a week because we don't know all the backgrounds that they come from. We don't know their stories. We don't know the things that they come from and the hurts and the pains. And so for one week, we get to spend them, we get to spend time with them and place them in a loving and caring environment where people love them and care for them and will hug them and will listen to them because maybe they don't get that at home. And, and, and we literally see every year when I go to camp, when I go to beach camp, I see the teens who, who, who from the moment we get on the bus and we leave, they're like, I ain't talking to nobody. I don't care about no God. I don't care about nothing. I'm just there to get get some sand on my toes, right? And then every single night, we see, we see God just strip away layers from them and, lay, and, 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 and they become more, um, uh, more purposeful. They become more hopeful. I was talking with Jesse Brooks uh, recently, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, Drew, he goes, can I tell you the one thing I love about camp? I love, I love the countenance on the faces of the teens as, as camp progresses because by night three or four, God's just done a work in their life and there's absolutely just like a million pounds is off of them. That's why camp's special. Now, is camp 100% it? No. And we fully realize, I can tell you how many conversations I've had with Wade, our youth staff, uh, um, and our youth leaders, the fact that outside of camp, we still have to provide them a, a support system. And I get that. I do. But I also know that sometimes God works in us the deepest when we're still and we turn out the noise. And camp provides that. So as we close... Is it all about the money today? Oh, no. First and foremost, I want you to leave today with a renewed emphasis, whether it's your kids or someone else's, to pour into the next generation, to be faithful. Some of you are going to know what I'm talking about. Some of you haven't experienced this yet, but there's, outside of my salvation with Jesus Christ, there is nothing that is more worthwhile in this world to me than when I invest my life into a teen or child and they have that moment where they get it. 
they have that moment where they realize and they come and they talk to me and they get it and they say, Drew, I get it. I know all the things that you told me, but now I believe it for myself that God loves me. He has a destiny for me. I'm called to preach. I'm called to lead worship. Every time I sit, I sit up here and I see Miranda Beachy and Matthew Hunt, Madison Judd, and the other, uh, other pieces of the youth band play and perform, I remember the day years ago when they first started to take those steps of faith. That and what I see today makes it worth it for me. So I want you to have that moment. That's primary. Secondary. I'd ask that you'd stay today. Help a teen and a kid go to camp. I'm going to tell you some ways. I'm going to close this in prayer in a second. And I'll go over some ways that you can do it in some details. But I ask that you would consider doing that. And you may say, well, Drew, I don't have much. That's not the point of today. If you get anything, the whole thing I'd want you to understand is, just like God told Gideon, well, what do you have? I ask that you would go and invest in our teens and children in the strength and resources that you have. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for today. And I just ask you, God, I thank you for the celebration. I thank you for the energy and the life that's here today. And I recognize you in all of it. I pray, dear God, right now that you would just, more than anything past today, that we would raise up this church to be a church that believes and invests in the next generation because all we're doing is lining ourselves up with your heartbeat because you are the God that reveals yourself to generation after generation after generation. And all we're doing when we agree to do that is we're just writing ourselves into the story that you are already authoring. And so I ask, God, that there'd be a spirit of what can I do? How can I help? Some of the people are going to be in this church. Some of them are going to be outside of this church. Both I celebrate. And I pray, Jesus, more than anything, that you would give us a clear focus on what to do, how to do it. In your name, amen. Before you leave, and I'm going to go through some instructions. Hmm? All right, so some of you are maybe asking, here's the first thing, some of you may be asking, well, what are these camps that you're going to? I'm glad you asked, right? I got...